This is Out of Office for Thursday the 25th of October 2012, a month on the road. Welcome to the Out of Office podcast, where you'll learn how to work from virtually anywhere by using the internet for greater convenience, comfort, and freedom. Your hosts are Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira. Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm um, well, thanks, Gihan. How are you doing? Ah, very well. Long time no speak. Indeed, indeed. It is a long time since we've last spoken, and uh, our observant listeners might have noticed that there was no out-of-office podcast for September, and the reason for that was because both of us have spent a month on the road, and we probably could have managed a podcast during that period, Gihan, I expect, but but we were focused on other things, so we uh, we decided to skip our September podcast and talk about our month on the road in our October podcast. And for both of us, uh, this this travel that we took was a mixture of both work and leisure. Or as someone has uh, coined that term, Ouija. Or <laughs> someone else called it Furking. Do you remember the names of the people who came up with those terms, Gihan? Ah, uh, yes, look, like stretching. I think somebody at New York University called it Ouija, which is work and leisure. And uh, uh, certainly somebody I know, one of my colleagues, Kirsty Spragan, called it Furk, which is fun and, fun and work. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad you clarified that. So, yes, we've been... We were furking during September and October, and uh, we had quite different itineraries, and that's good because that gives us uh, different approaches that we can talk about in today's podcast. So for me, it was mostly holiday. We had uh, a couple of weeks in Paris, with a, a week in Paris, followed by a couple of days at Euro Disney, and then another week of holiday in London. Then for me, the work began. We travelled out to Berkshire, and I spent a week working on site near Bracknell. And then at the end of the trip, I uh, spent another week with family and then travelling back to Perth and getting over the jet, getting over jet lag. And when I say we, I was travelling with my wife, Sheree, and daughter, Lauren. So there were three of us on this journey, but obviously I didn't take my wife and daughter to work with me. Mm. And, and as you say, my, my itinerary was quite different. Uh, and over September and October, I probably spent two and a half to three weeks away from away from home. Uh, one week was in Sydney in September. I was attending a course and that went for the whole week. And then I was back for three weeks and then spent 10 days in Melbourne and Cairns. Uh, both times in Melbourne and Cairns, I was speaking at conferences and they turned out to be a week apart. So it gave me a, a little bit of time to have a little bit of a holiday with my partner, Sharon, in Cairns as well before going off to the Cairns conference. And uh, everything else was work apart from those few days of holiday. So, very good. Between us, we were doing a bit of work and a lot of leisure, and we're going to talk about that in today's podcast. So, we've got four different sections, a little bit about what you do beforehand, so planning ahead, uh, what to actually take with you, how to pack it and what to take, then how you actually stay connected when you're actually on the road, and then doing a bit of work as well. So we've got four sections that we'll talk about. And in each of those, we've got some principles that guide, uh, that can guide you in making decisions about how to carry out those different phases of your travel. So why don't you kick things off, Gihan, with Before You Go? Yeah, sure, sure. And this is like when you're planning a trip that involves a change of environment that happened to both of us, sometimes because it's unfamiliar and you don't actually know what's going to happen, it's difficult to know what to do, especially if you don't do this sort of stuff often. And even though I consider myself a digital nomad where I can work from anywhere, there's still some differences when I'm working as I was interstate as opposed to working close to home. Um, so I recommend one thing that you can think about as a guiding principle is this whole idea of start, stop and continue, which is sometimes known as a traffic light system. So you ask yourself, what will you start doing? What will you stop doing? And what will you keep doing when you're in this new in this new environment? That can help you think about things that you may need to change or things that you may need to, or things that you will maintain when you're away. So for example, uh, I'd I'm 
obsessive about backups. And I knew that when I was going to be away, I'd be stopping my daily online backups using Carbonite because I wouldn't have access to my ADSL fast internet at home. Uh, so I'd be using mobile internet, which is too expensive for that. But I want to keep doing the backups. So I had to start doing, uh, I had to ch change my strategy. So I was doing incremental backups to a USB thumb drive every day and full daily backups to an external drive that I carried with me. So that's an example of where I knew that some, something in my, my environment would change, so I'd have to change my strategy. Um, just a few other examples. I, I would normally download podcasts every day, but I had to stop doing that for the same reason, because it took up too much bandwidth over mobile internet. So I loaded up my phone with podcasts in advance. Just a very simple thing. Uh, with Google Reader, I read lots and lots of blog posts and articles all the time, but I decided to stop consuming as much because I knew that my energy and focus would be elsewhere. So I was just happy to stop that. And I was just deleting posts without reading them. I wanted to keep doing regular exercise, but I knew it wouldn't always be feasible while traveling. So I had to reset my expectations a little bit. So where I was staying, I knew that I wouldn't always have easy access to the gym, uh, but some places I did. So I just had to be sure that I was happy with the exercise schedule I set, set for myself. I wanted to keep checking email while I was away, but only at various times in the day. So I didn't want to be constantly checking email all the time. So uh, I told Ray at our help desk that I would only be checking it a couple of times a day. And I deliberately turned off the email checking on my phone so that I wouldn't have to be doing it when, um, when I was on holiday. So I did want to take complete days off work when I was on holiday, uh, which meant that I wouldn't be doing things like checking email and voicemail. And when we were out snorkeling on the Great Barrier Reef, there's no problem at all about that because there's no mobile coverage anyway. But that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Especially uh, underwater, Kihan. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I notified clients that I was going to be away. Uh, I didn't notify my public networks, but I did, did notify clients just as courtesy that I would be away for this time so they could schedule work before I, uh, before I left or after I got back. Um, I did want to keep blogging daily, uh, but that meant that I had to schedule the blog post in advance because I did want to keep keep stuff coming out through my blog even while I was away. And I was able to do that. And even a couple of newsletters went out while I was away. Uh, I want to start some new experiences. And uh, so there were things like whitewater rafting and go-karting and snorkeling, things that I'd never done before, uh, none of those three things. And, and Sharon actually reminded me to take my contact lenses, which is something I hadn't thought about. So when I was uh, when we were planning, that was one thing that, that did get packed, and it wasn't a technology thing, but it was an important thing. And I guess the last thing that I want to say is I wanted to keep my laptop and my data safe. So um, as I said at the start, I was um, obsessed about backups and security. And so one of the things I had to be careful about was making sure that if something bad happened, that I wouldn't actually lose everything or it'd be fairly easy to recover. So I had my laptop with me. I had an external drive. And any time that I wasn't, when I didn't have them on my person, I just made sure that they were separate. So, you know, I'd keep the drive in the room if I was taking my laptop out with me and vice versa. So that uh, if something did go wrong, it would, it would be bad, but it wouldn't be a disaster. Very good, Kihan. So, as you said, when you're taking a trip like this, it is, is a significant change of environment, and that start stop, start, stop, continue model you've talked about is a good way of thinking about the changes that you're going to make and the things that you're going to keep the same, plus, importantly, the actions that you need to take in anticipation of these changes. So, really, it's about being proactive. So, for my trip... I was only taking, I was only having one week of work, so it was a long way to travel uh, and a lot of expense for a single intensive week of working on site. So I wanted to get the absolute uh, most I could out of that one week's visit. So 
In anticipation of this, I created and shared a wiki page with my colleagues so we could gather information about the people that I wanted to visit, the things that we were going to talk about, and then once we had all that information, uh, I could go about scheduling meetings with those people. Now, in retrospect, um, there were people that I bumped into during my visit who said, oh, I didn't know you were going to be on site if I'd known dot, 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 and we'd have an impromptu meeting, which was okay. So in retrospect, I really should have shared that, uh, that wiki page even more broadly and maybe helped, maybe asked others to share it with people who thought they might be interested in seeing me when I was on site. So anyway, that wiki page served as a source of information for helping me schedule meetings with people when I was going to be on site and um, the agenda that we were going to follow when we had those meetings. And all of this was done well in advance of departing from Perth because I knew that for two weeks I was going to be on the road um, having a holiday with little to no access to my work email and my calendar. So I wanted to make sure everything was handled up front before we set off from Perth. For the non-work part of our travel, uh, we were planning on doing lots of sightseeing. So we did lots of research in advance again. Uh, especially online, and the site TripAdvisor came in handy in that regard. And we also were going to spend some time in the UK catching up with family and friends. So that's something we wanted to schedule before we left Perth. So we sent out lots of emails and made sure we had dates and venues to catch up with people, and that also allowed us to plan other sightseeing around uh, about the times that we were visiting friends. I think you make the important point, Chris, about being proactive because that is really what it's about, especially with the planning and being proactive about uh, just anticipating, just thinking ahead of some of the things that might get in the way of you having the best experience possible and also some of the things that you can do to make sure that you do have a better experience. Absolutely. And I think that segues well into the next section, what to pack, Kihan. Uh, yes, look, and, and I think everyone's going to have their, everyone's going to have a different opinion and a different list of things that they're going to pack with them. But I like to think about it this way. So, and again, it comes back to being proactive, Chris. So I follow the principle of expect the best, but prepare for the worst. So that uh, if things do go badly wrong, they uh, if things go wrong, they're not going to go badly wrong. Uh, but also make sure that you're going to do stuff that's going to uh, enhance your experience. So just some examples of things that just. There may be just little things that go wrong when you're traveling, uh, but you can anticipate them uh, and make sure that they don't become disasters. So, for example, travel documents, so things like e-tickets and hotel confirmations, they're very easy now to keep online rather than printing out because um, you can keep them in the cloud. Uh, and I use Dropbox and Evernote for keeping those sort of things on my phone, so I have them handy at all the time. But I'll also use the download, uh, the offline feature of Evernote uh, and Dropbox to be able to download them to my phone. So if I don't have access to the internet at any time, then I've still got that material on my phone. And that's the time when you most need it, uh, when, you're, when you're struggling uh, with internet access, but you absolutely need access to this travel document. Um, another example, what if the airline loses or delays your luggage? So when I was presenting in Melbourne, I was arriving there just uh, just over 24 hours ahead of the presentation and I couldn't afford to have a delay with certain things like handouts uh, for the conference. The, I couldn't afford to have the airline delay them. So even if they didn't lose them permanently, I needed to have them the next day. So I made sure that I carried all my presentation materials in my hand luggage. Just a simple thing. And uh, as it turned out, I didn't need to worry about that extra precaution, but it's nice to have the precaution in place. Um, similarly, what if the hotel loses your booking? I've heard of so many examples of uh, turn, people turning up at hotels and not having their uh, not having their booking confirmed. 
confirmed. And I think in this case, it's really useful to have a printout of your confirmation so that you can show it to them. Uh, and I think that carries more weight than just showing it on your phone as well. Um, all that said, I don't think you should be overly cautious about things and you can be realistic as well. For example, you know, I think most people overpack the clothes that they need when they go on a trip, uh, but they most of the places that you go to, they have shops and you can buy clothes if you need, if you run out of clothes. So that's the sort of thing which you can uh, lighten your load and maybe leave a little bit more space for bringing back gifts and, and souvenirs for, from your trip. Yes, I'm looking forward to the gift you got me, Gina. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, good. I'm glad you're looking forward to it, Chris. <laughs> the anticipation is the gift itself. <laughs> Uh, the other thing that I've that I've done uh, over the last few years is built up a travel checklist, uh, and all it has is uh, this is for business travel. Typically, it has a list of all the things that I might want to take with me. Uh, it even contains things that I don't need on every trip. So, for example, my passport goes on the list, uh, an international driver's license goes on the list, uh, and even though I don't use them all the time, uh, for every trip I make a copy of that list, delete the things that I don't need, and then print it out and take it with me. And it helps me with packing when I before I leave. And also, I keep that, that printout and then go through that list again when I'm repacking at the end of my trip so that I make sure that I take back everything that I intend to take back. So don't leave things like chargers and cables behind in hotel rooms. And they're the sort of things which are easy to forget because you just plug them in by the side of your bed or plug them in somewhere and then forget to take them with you. So I find that that travel checklist uh, has been very useful for me over the years. It just it just takes it out of my head and puts it on paper, so it's very easy for me to track. Yeah, look, and part of that list, Gihan, I think might be the complete traveller gadget checklist, something you posted uh, to the Out of Office blog recently. Um, and I want to highlight one item on that list which I didn't take and would really have been of benefit, and that's a power board. Uh, it's such a simple and clever idea, so... Uh, we'll provide a link to that uh, blog posting in the notes for this podcast. But uh, I think the way that we what we packed, other than the power board and how we packed it, really reflects uh, the approach that you took, Gihan. So we, whereas we didn't use Evernote and Dropbox, we used an application called TripIt, which is probably better for holiday travel than it is for business travel. And uh, it operates a freemium service. We use the free version of it. And it's quite clever in that you allow access to your inbox and it keeps an eye on your inbox. And whenever it sees something like a flight or accommodation or car hire uh, message or confirmation arrive in your inbox, it adds, it parses it and adds it to your itinerary if it knows how to parse it. So that allowed us to build up this online itinerary of our flights and train trips, our car hire, our travel insurance and all of our accommodation. Those bits that TripIt didn't pick up automatically were able to add ourselves and Sheree and I were able to share it so we could both add to it as, as we needed. And as well as uh, sharing it between ourselves, we could also share it with uh, family so they knew where we would be at what particular times and they'd have phone numbers that they could contact us on if they needed to. So that's probably more useful for holiday travel rather than business travel, but uh, it's worth having a look at next time you travel yourself. So we had in the cloud this uh, single point that we could go to where we could examine our itinerary as well as having it online and access to it through uh, our tablet and our smartphones, we printed out some of those key documents, so things like our boarding passes and our insurance details and some of our accommodation and travel uh, confirmations. And these we packed in our hand luggage because, as Gihan said, uh, often your 
actual luggage is delayed or lost entirely. So we packed them along with you know, our passports and cash, the things that we needed to have to hand and didn't want to get lost. And we packed our smartphones and our tablets. They were in our hand luggage as well. Uh, that meant that whilst we were travelling, we were able to communicate and get access to important documents and info. And I like the idea of having printouts of things just as backup because uh, there yeah. are times, as, as you said, where you don't necessarily have access to online and sometimes maybe not even access to the, the smartphone and tablet. I mean, you may turn out, you may, you may turn your phone on uh, or try to turn your phone on and find that the battery is gone. And so there are times like that where it's really handy to have the printout and it just takes a few extra minutes and it's, a, it's very lightweight to carry printouts with you, but that is worth doing as well. Yeah, Gihan. I was just going to add, Gihan, there, is, there are occasions where you just have to. So things like boarding passes, you can show, uh, you can show a barcode, but not, not every airport is equipped to uh, take a barcode from a smartphone or a tablet and the scanners only work with the paper copies. So it's good to have them on paper. That's right. That's right. And I have heard of people using TripIt. I haven't heard them use it that way, Chris. That's really useful. Uh, but I have heard of people using TripIt even for business travel and it seems like a good, it seems like a good service. Yeah. So let's talk about what happens when, you, when you're actually on the road. And this is one of the things where, for me as a digital nomad, I think of my office in a backpack uh, being, uh, having three things. So as long as I've got my computer, phone, and internet, I can basically run my business from anywhere and I can be communicating from anywhere. So when I was traveling, I just had to make sure that I had all of these things and, uh, and making sure they're working reliably while on the road. Because it's easy enough for me to have computer, phone and internet when I'm here in Perth. Um, I just had to make sure that I, I could reproduce that or replicate that when I was traveling. So the computer was easy because I have uh, I've just worked from my, from my laptop anyway, which is this wonderful uh, lightweight PC Ultrabook. Uh, slim has pretty good battery power um, or battery life so that was great and uh, it's slim so it's very easy to carry around and uh, for the first time ever I, I actually have a computer that would even fit in the hotel safe which was great because normally um, the computers are too big for that so if I leave it in my hotel room I have to find a place to hide it somewhere but this time I was actually able to keep it in the safe so that was good but also it also meant because it was light I was happier to carry it around with me when I, uh, when I didn't have to leave it behind. And with the phone, I had no problem at all because I was within Australia, so I didn't have to worry about changing SIMs or uh, going on roaming plans or, or hiring a phone or anything like that. I was a little bit concerned about when I was in Cairns in particular, whether, whether we'd have uh, Vodafone coverage uh, or whether they had to switch to roaming, but it didn't turn out to be a problem anyway because uh, Vodafone did, did cover Cairns. But in other places I've been to, like uh, Busselton and Broome, that hasn't been the case. So I've just got to be careful about how I use internet access uh, on my phone while I'm while I'm away. Um, and with internet, I knew that the places that the venues that I would be presenting at, uh, or even the course I was attending, they would have wireless access. But I didn't want to rely on that. So I also had my own personal internet access. And as it turned out, I had three ways of doing it. I had my tablet, which is connected to Telstra, which I could use as a, uh, I could switch it to become a, a what do they call it? A mobile, a wireless uh, modem, I guess, or a hotspot. Yeah, yeah. a Wi-Fi hotspot. That's yeah, right. that's right. I could do the same with my phone, which is on 3 and Vodafone. And I carried my little wireless modem dongle with me as well, so I could plug that in. And uh, as it turned out, I did use two out of three of those uh, when I was traveling, which I, I needed to do because the wireless that I was using wasn't 100% reliable. Okay, right. 
So I think, Gihan, your office in a backpack is about being productive while you're traveling and staying connected and also having uh, multiple ways of being connected as well. And I think my office in a backpack, for want of, uh, uh, for want of a better term, was somewhat similar. Um, when I was working, I was going to be on site so that I knew that I would have access to a PC. But nonetheless, I took with me uh, my tablet, which is an Asus Transformer. And this is, again, a very lightweight and slim, compact uh, piece of kit. And it has a keyboard dock. One of the reasons I got it was that, as well as being a tablet, it can plug into a keyboard. And it's a bit more productive than uh, having to use a, a tablet with, with a touch interface. Being a tablet, though, it's not quite as functional as a standard PC notebook. So some of the tools that are on it, like word processing and spreadsheets through Google Drive, aren't as fully-fledged as a standard office suite. So that's something to think about uh, when you're traveling. Are you going to need those kinds of tools? And if so, you need to take a bit of kit that's going to support that. For uh, for phone calls and uh, communication, we took our smartphones. Now, for the holiday part of our travel in Paris, we didn't anticipate having much need for phones. I mean, whenever we phoned someone, they were speaking this incomprehensible language. So <laughs> so we didn't make many phone calls. Plus, we knew that at the apartment, we'd have free phone calls to landlines and we had free Wi-Fi. So when we did, use to, did need to call mobile phones, we just used Skype on a couple of occasions. Then in the UK, we did need our phones. So we bought local SIM cards from uh, the local Leica mobile company. Uh, with voice and data, so that meant we had both internet and voice connections. Uh, on previous trips, I've bought a pay-as-you-go, a cheap pay-as-you-go phone that's worked out pretty well. Um, and before leaving, I did a bit of research into travel sims. So these are sims that you can buy in your country of origin, but will work overseas. But uh, the research suggested that just buying a local sim was going to be cheaper and more effective. For internet access, again, all of the apartments we stayed in, we knew we were going to have free Wi-Fi. Plus, uh, in the UK, we could use 3G through my smartphone, which I can set up as a, a Wi-Fi hotspot and connect my tablet to it. There was also Wi-Fi available on uh, one of the legs of our um, of our flights from, from London to Singapore, but it was expensive, and by that stage of our travels, we were more interested in sleep than being online. <laughs> Look, just a couple of points, Chris, uh, from things that you that you mentioned. So the first thing was that I was interested to hear your experience about using the tablet PC versus the PC uh, and some of the limitations of that. And I think that's going to be more and more common that people will say that, you know, 80% of what I need, I can get on my phone and tablet, so I won't carry my PC or my Mac with me. And I think if you're going to do that, one of the really useful things to do is just experiment with that, if, uh, say, the month or two before you go. Just just try it out uh, at home when you don't have to worry about uh, not having access. Uh, but just try it out. Just take your... So, so pretend that you didn't have access to your PC or Mac and just see how it would work with your tablet. And then you at least get some idea of the limitations or maybe some new apps that you need to download and use. And would that be something that you'd consider for next time, that now that you know some of the limitations, would you still do the same again, like you'd take your tablet with you, or would you think that you need to take a laptop as well? It depends, Gihan. So I knew in advance the limitations of using my tablet mm. PC. So, for instance, you know, every Wednesday before we do this this talk, I'm usually taking Lauren to gym, and I have my tablet with me, and I'm editing the notes for our podcast uh, through Google Drive. But there there are some limitations. If I was going to be doing more intensive, productive work, 
through uh, whilst I was travelling and not on site, then I'd probably take a, a notebook PC with Office or something. Yeah, great, great. Uh, and the other thing is about Wi-Fi and the internet. It sounds like you had pretty good experience there that you knew in advance that you're going to have free Wi-Fi in your apartments and it worked quite well. Um, in my experience, it's very difficult to know how reliable Wi-Fi is going to be. So yeah. I've noticed that even hotels that advertise Wi-Fi and sometimes it says it's free Wi-Fi, sometimes it says it's paid, but that even that doesn't necessarily make a difference. Sometimes you'll find that you'll go to an apartment where really what they mean by giving you free internet access is they have fairly slow access because they know that people are just going to be, most most people are um, leisure travelers who are just going to be downloading email and maybe going on Facebook a little bit. Uh, whereas if you're going to be doing serious office work, you may want to have more bandwidth than they'd allow and maybe even faster internet access than they provide. So it's just one of the things I've, I've realized is that it's nice to go to a place that advertises good internet access or advertises free Wi-Fi or even Wi-Fi available, but don't rely on that alone. Very good. Yep, you're absolutely right, Gihan. So we can move on now to actually doing some work. So for my trip to the UK, I had really specific goals in mind. And so I focused on making sure that these were achieved. And then anything else that got done, well, that was just a bonus and, and, and really good. And then other things that didn't get done that were outside of those specific goals, well, they could wait until I got back to Perth and, was, and, and I could attend to them then. So for me... I was planning to attend lots of face-to-face -face meetings and I'd scheduled them in advance and that's exactly what happened because it was all planned in advance and, and things went smoothly, smoothly. On the other hand, I did very little of my usual work and in a way it kind of felt uh, not very productive. I didn't get many, much develop, well, I didn't get any development done at all. But nonetheless, it was really valuable because I did a lot of planning and a lot of review work with my colleagues when I was on site. One thing that I really appreciated when I was on site was the, the fidelity, for want of a better word, of face-to-face -face meetings. So as an out-of-office worker, most of my communication is by email or on the phone or teleconferences and webinars. And so you miss some of those um, subtle cues that you get when you're meeting someone face to face. You can't necessarily see the expression on their face. You can't see their posture and the gestures that they're making whilst they're speaking. And having access to that, which is unusual for me, really, uh, I really valued that when I was, was having my meetings. Another bonus for me was the incidental meetings that, that cropped up during my visit on site. So, you know, I'd bump into people in the tea room and we'd, we'd have a conversation about uh, the things I was working on and this would lead to, to other things and a bit of brainstorming or bumping into people around the water cooler, that sort of thing. That was a, a real bonus and something that I don't get much of or any of when I'm working out of office. And finally, there was the opportunity to socialize with, with uh, my colleagues. So I went out to dinner a few times, had beers in the pub, and that was really good. And again, another, another aspect of work on site that I don't normally get when I'm working out of office. Yeah, and actually my experience ref reflects a lot of what you've just said there, Chris. Uh, so the, the conference in Cairns was, uh, I was the main speaker at that conference and I went along there with the expectation that my role would be to to deliver the educational material. But there was a lot of um, material outside that as well. So the, the conference organisers made a big deal about this, not just being a conference where you turn up and learn stuff, but you also get involved and you interact with, with each other at the conference and you form groups and you, you really create these bonds. So the things like 
go-karting and whitewater rafting, which Sharon and I were invited to. In fact, we were invited to all the social events. But things like that were really part of the bonding experience. And they were, as far as the organizers were concerned, as important as the learning in the actual formal sessions. And so that's the sort of stuff that you that's very difficult for you to reproduce in an out-of-office environment. So it, it really, I really valued that as well. And uh, the conference organizers made us very welcome and uh, were very keen for us to participate at that level. So I agree, I agree. There's some things that you can't, you just can't reproduce as an out-of-office worker. And I think we made the point before as well that if you are an out-of-office worker and most of your colleagues are in office, then you've also got to be careful because sometimes you might be excluded from some of those activities without people even meaning to exclude you. It just happens because of the environment that you're in. Yeah, yeah. You also made the point about uh, feeling like you weren't being as productive. And I, I really think uh, one of the things that I've discovered for myself with, with business travel is that energy management is important. Uh, it's really important to look after your own energy. And I know that in the past I've looked at a business trip where I might be arriving a couple of days early and then working for a couple of days. Uh, and I, th- I think, oh, I can achieve quite a lot in that that couple of days be- when I, before I start work. But actually it turns out that my focus and my energy is elsewhere. I'm, I'm maybe getting over jet lag. I'm just kind of uh, acclimatizing myself to the new environment. So one of the things that I've discovered now, Chris, is that I'm just a bit kinder to myself when I when I go on trips. So I don't I don't try to put too much on my plate on and have too many goals to achieve on the trip apart from what has been scheduled. So for example, like I went to Sydney and I was attending a course and I decided to put off my my full energy into that course. Uh, in Melbourne and Cairns, I was presenting at conferences, so I had those things that that had to be done. But apart from that, if anything else got done, that was just a bonus and I didn't have any particular goals apart from that. And those sort of things, so just think about how you're going to manage your energy while you're away and don't expect that you're going to have the same amount of energy and time and focus as you're going to have when you're in your normal familiar environment. That said, there are some times that you have unexpected bursts of energy. So you might be on a plane and you, you mentioned earlier, Chris, that uh, on the long flight back home, uh, the longest leg, you just felt like sleeping. But you may just wake up and feel like doing a couple of hours of productive work. So it's handy to have something that you can do. So you might have downloaded some ebooks to your tablet for reading, or you might have something printed that you can go through and review. So just keep energy management in mind and, and look after yourself when you're, when you're on the road. Very good. Shall we wrap things up, Gihan? I think so. I think so. So, so look, if I was going to broadly uh, talk about some specific pieces of advice, what I would say would be think about what you take for granted in your normal work life and consider how to replicate this on the road. Uh, What I've just said, which is don't expect to be as productive as you normally would be. And finally, have fun as well. So even if you're on the road for a purely business trip, don't make it all about work, even if it is a work trip. Yeah, I agree. And I'd just add a fourth point. I think it's probably the flip side of the first one you said about trying to replicate uh, your normal work life when you're on the road. And it's also that you have a a, a significantly different environment uh, from your normal out-of-office work. So try and take advantage of uh, some of those differences. So, for example, for me, it was the fact that I was having lots of face-to-face meetings and uh, some incidental meetings with people bumping into them in the corridor and the opportunity to socialise with my colleagues. And there might be other things that uh, that uh, you can take advantage of when you're travelling and working on the road um, that are different from your standard out-of-office work style. Yeah, very good point. Very good point. 
Okay, well, all that remains then, Gihan, is to mention the out-of-office book. We've got a section of the book on the digital nomad where we've got a lot more information and detail about this kind of thing, working and travelling. So if you want to find out more about the book, then visit outofofficebook.com and there you can find links to purchase the print edition, which uh, we have a few copies left and we're selling them at a significant discount. So they're available at $20 for a short time only. I'm sure they'll sell out soon. Alternatively, we've got infinite supplies of the ebook version and you can find links to purchasing that on outofofficebook.com as well. And we also have a few other resources. So we have the Out of Office blog and, of course, links to the Out of Office podcast where you can find links to some of the, uh, the resources that we've mentioned during this episode. So, Gihan, it remains for me to thank you for yet another great out-of-office podcast. I'm sure we'll have another one in about a month's time. Yeah, thanks very much, Chris. It's been great. Excellent. So, thanks a lot, and bye for now. Okay, bye. Visit our website at outofofficebook.com, where you can read all our show notes, subscribe to the podcast, and get our book, Out of Office. We wish you all the best in creating the work style of your choice.